0: Hello and welcome to Woman Up, the podcast series by Desperate Artwives. Woman Up is a podcast talking to women artists, creatives, art critics, feminist historians, activists, and more. The series was conceived by Desperate Artwives founder Amy Dignam in collaboration with me, Susan Merrick. Desperate Artwives is a platform established in 2010 for women artists who are also mothers and carers. Amy's work focuses on domestic disorder, unsteady identity, power, and dysfunction. And I am an artist interested in feminism, language, power, and access. In this platform, we share conversations with women that inspire us and our work, whilst producing a long-form content of resources for other people to access. Hello and welcome to Woman Up, the podcast series by Desperate Artwives. I'm Susan Merrick, and tonight we're talking with Nicola Hunter. Artist and activist Nicola Hunter was born in North East England, began their path in fine arts, and has since been performing and showing work nationally and internationally for over a decade. Hunter has seen international success as founder of intersectional feminist project Raising the Skirt and continues to develop a queer feminist arts and photographic practice, which is rooted in action-based performance and spans live work, documentations of its products and traces, and the representation of these in other forms. That's an amazing bio, Nicola. Welcome. Hi,
1: thanks for having
0: me. You're very welcome. So in your bio there, we mentioned Raising the Skirt. And I wanted to ask you about that because that's how I first got to know about your work. So um, I was introduced to it by a lecturer at uni um, and, and I was absolutely mesmerised by this work and this such strong, amazing um, uh, feminist based gender work using women's bodies, which um, yeah, I'm very passionate about so please can you tell me about how that started um where it came from and kind of challenges that you faced through it as well
1: um well, actually I was talking to a friend about raising skirt I think it was yesterday or the day before and it's been like six years since the first workshop and it really was only intended to be a workshop um but as soon as the, the content went online it just went absolutely fucking mental um we you know we we i think the success came from a real need for this kind of um exploration so yeah there's well really um the the workshop was funded um as part of the, the live art development agency's uh, d i y program so i think that was the d i y eleven um Scout our first workshop was in twenty fourteen and um really um i had gone through um a huge kind of investigation exploration of um gender my own gender um social gender gender identity um body politics and I had a real kind of disassociation with my own body so Raising the Skirts I sort of followed my own kind of personal like a personal narrative really and exploring that with other other people so Pre- just before um the race in the Skirt workshop I had gone through a real difficult period of like gender dysmorphia. And so in a way to try and re kind of connect with my body, um I started looking for sort of acts of um, empowerment which were to do with the, the vulva, with the vagina, with um yeah and so I uh, through I think I actually came across the first the first time I ever read about raising the skirt as an action was in Catherine Blackledge's book, um, Story of V, e, I think it's that one. It's here. I'll confirm that. Um so I, I did um I saw a part, there was a passage in that book. Um, and then I just started looking further and further into the um the, the act of raising the skirt and how uh people within communities were reclaiming their powers, especially female, lots of female bodies, uh women. Um and also it, it really um sort of um, trans experiences as well, trans narratives. Um, so great. We were funded by LADA to kind of do this three-day workshop, which then resulted in um, we really wanted to create some photographic works. Um, we did some casting um, inspired by The Great Wall of Vagina. Um, Jamie McCarthy, again, I'll confirm that um inspired by that so really so like going through a couple of different activities which allowed us to really reconnect back with our bodies um of vulva specifically and then we went out into different environments and sort of recreated the acts that I had learnt about um in these international um really quite sort of indigenous as well some real like deeply rooted folkloric kind of um uh, rituals um so we we created those as photographic works and, and then I think in the, was the last, that sort of the, the, the workshop came together as a performance, a public performance with, um, Vain Gallery. I think, um, it feels like such a long time. It feels yeah. like a lifetime ago, you know. Um, so we did a performance and then I, as part of the, um, requirements, the request from the, uh, from like from Larder, we accommodated all of this kind of uh, work in, in a website and then as soon as the website went live it went just viral it went absolutely crazy um it was picked up by the independent guardian um it's been written about in books and dissertations and PhDs you know it really it really hit I think um it really hit wide and hard um I'm really really proud of it um and then we went and we did another workshop and then we exhibit as part of Welcome Collections, um, sexology event that was up at the Arches, right before the Arches closed, um, in Glasgow. Um, and it was doing really well. And then it did come with its kind of, with its, um, negatives as well as, is with the, with how it went viral. Um, I got a lot of, um, personal attacks um death threats like as far as that um so as much as it was empowering it was really it become very you know it become a bit scary for me because we were the only funding that we ever got was that a thousand pounds from larder and everything else was self-funded all of the um time and energy and heart that went into that project was all self-funded really and um in the end, sort of, 2015 was when I became a single mother, and um, so I just I couldn't I couldn't carry all of the weight of sort of moving into single parenthood, and and carrying on the sort of the brilliance of the project, but also the the burden that came with it, which was a lot of, like it really affected my mental health in the end, um, because there was just not enough support, really, um, not enough money to kind of bring on other practitioners or other. People to, to leave workshops and what have you so that's kind of where it ended but it hasn't it's had it's had waves of like international kind of interest since so even though um really the last time we did anything was 2016 um it's still been picked up in press across the world and i'll still have people contact me to interview me about it which is just brilliant really it just it just goes to show that it's, this is the narrative of the projects this has had um It's really vital.
0: Yeah, I would definitely echo that. It's such a strong, um, as you say, it's got such a strong narrative and it connects with so many people on different levels as well. Um, It it,
1: so many different places, you know. Um, It had such, and I think it still does have such a, it has has, has an ability to kind of go in so many different directions um, to empower so many different people under the sort of umbrella of the narrative of the project
0: so you touched on um how big it went there as well and how that kind of causes challenges am I right in thinking that one of the challenges you face with that is censorship as well which is something that you seem to face ongoing in your work um
1: always (laughs) yeah always um I think because the the project was so um it was really you know, the visuals were really strong. So it became more and more difficult to get funding because of the narrative itself, you know. Um, I think people were kind of scared, you know, the Arts Council had plenty of meetings with the Arts Council and, and it just would reject rejected every single time. Um, it's really, really hard to keep sort of the motivation going with it because... Um, Yes, uh, the images were so powerful that I think um, and they were stolen so many times you know, turned into mm. memes um, used on these sort of like real kind of lad, ladding kind of um, Facebook groups um, you know it, it caused some real friction
0: Yeah, I bet it did um, In your work so I'm not kind of following the notes that I made at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in your work, you um, use your body a lot as um, as a canvas, um, mm-hmm. as kind of a performance base, um, linking that right forward to from raising the skirt and previous work that you've done, um, also up to the current work that you're making during lockdown. Um, and uh, am I saying it right when I say pron- pronoia?
1: No, yeah. I
0: think it's Pranaya, yeah. Pranaya, okay. Yeah. Um, Can you tell us a bit about um, your current self-portrait project, Pranaya, and what that word means? That'd be useful for me. Um, And also, um, I suppose, what attracts you to using your body in that way, in your performances and as your canvas? Okay, well,
1: Pranaya means... um... Uh, care of forethought and it, it kind of means to be in the right place at the right time like the universe has created that space for you to be in this moment you know um so I, have, I hadn't really done any work since motherfucker which was um uh R&D um funded from a period of research and development funded from the Arts Council to look into my experiences of single motherhood. Um, and I really struggled with that, to be honest. Um, I thought, I think that the, in looking back, I think that the, the subject matter was so raw for me um, that it had such a knock-on effect on my kind of connection with my my practice. So I had a real sort of I put shutters up, you know, I really can put put my practice in a box a bit. It just uh, really, shocked me. I think I felt really vulnerable. Um but then I was sort of not gifted, but with the schools being off, um I also have a business. I'm, I'm self employed. I've got a photographic um the commercial photography business. So because I wasn't able to work and the schools were off, uh, my kids sort of was entertaining themselves. Um, it was summer, um, sort of was gifted this bit of time to kind of reconnect with my body and really kind of catch up. And I think a lot of people across lockdown have really had to sit with their own shadows. You know, um, a lot of trauma have come up for people and um, and it did for me. So I was dealing with a lot of stuff and I find that... Um, when I'm sort of looking at my own trauma or looking at my shadow, it becomes incredibly physical. Um, I had eating disorders when I was a teenager. And so I was dealing actually probably mostly my whole life, um, dealing with my body issues and, um, and which resulted in an eating disorder, which I've had therapy for and sort of always been in recovery with. So when I'm dealing with my trauma, I do tend to sort of really physicalize it. So, it instantly takes me back to my body. I had, um, I was lucky to get some therapy to deal with some sort of cycles of trauma that I've been dealing with, and um, so I was going through therapy at the time of the first lockdown. Uh, it's a br- brilliant therapist that I'd seen, um, I've seen, I've spoken to actually, um three on three different occasions, and he's he's been really brilliant in helping me to kind of unwind or unravel some of the the cycles that have um that you create for yourself um but it's a really empowering for me and it really broke kind of I I felt like it had broken down a lot of those the walls that I'd put up around me so I was able to connect with my body again and really kind of look at my practice and feel really empowered again so I think by breaking down those walls I was able to pick up my camera which um so um I became a, I suppose, I became a photographer um, maybe about two two years ago. Um, I had done some photographic work back in uni and um, in 2015, I picked up a camera again and then started developing kind of self-portraits and stuff. But it wasn't really until um, I started my business um, that I was able to kind of hone those skills. And so by getting... Uh, more kind of um, complex and more kind of um, brilliant technology that I've been able to kind of use that to turn it back on myself. So all, using all the skills that I've been learning in my business to kind of turn that back around. And I found that in the past, um, I, I've not really liked having somebody taking the pictures of me. And so it's been really, really nice to have that full control and being completely um empower through that process because there's nobody else kind of it's nobody else's lens it's my own lens um and mi- sort of mirroring mirroring that back to towards myself you know um and my That's body's really... changed and my relationship with my body's really changed so I felt like there was a lot of strength in in the images um I can you know, really
0: see it I you the images um when you look look through your work there is a real difference between the images that are taken of your performances from other people and then these images that you have taken of yourself and there is this real um acceptance i think and and love there's like a love that's shown for this body that is yours and you it's i, I feels like a reclaiming in some way that you've been able to do and it's yeah they're amazing images
1: thank you and and I think as well not having any because sorry there's a tangent there not having any pressure for it to be anything I think and having that space to play is really important and I think well I know that the whole of my practice I've not really had any time to play it's all you know I've I've been a a mother and pretty much from you know becoming an artist um and, and so I've had to really focus my time whenever I've been performing or touring or going away. Everything's kind of happened either on tour or during the performance, you know, like I'll, I'll stop performing and realise why I'm there. You know, I did, it was very sort of image task-based before that. And then, I, you know, I come to an understanding as to what it is that I'm making or the reason it is that I'm making that particular um, performance. So, um I did some really brilliant work with uh, Charlotte Vincent as part of Motherfucker. Um, She's a, um, she's the choreographer director of uh, Vincent dance theater. Yeah. Part of Motherfucker was to kind of look at creating more of a sustainable way to make work. So taking blood out of it, for example, but taking blood out of the way that I, out of my work and sort of, developing my skills as a performer in a different way to kind of look at place in my work within theatres. And um, so it was a really, really interesting way to kind of explore that. And I think...
0: Did you say taking blood out of your performances?
1: Yeah. Because like so- one of
0: my questions is, you know, <laughs> the themes that seem to run through is, um, you know, from the earlier works, there's, there was a lot of piercing and then blood kind of was run through and also flowers as well. Yeah. So... If you, yeah, could you tell us a bit more about those themes and
1: so th- i think um well, I'm really interested in symbol um i'm also i did some work with Vicky and Masafa I did some work i worked with Viky Masafa as sort of i guess um how can i put this uh, so sort of, a lot of people in the u k would would call him or maybe in the western world would call him um the grandfather of 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 pearson. But I think that's a real sort of white term to use um so he sort of went around and sort of experienced different rituals um like which were using um opening up your chakra points so um. And, and that being, you know, connecting to different parts of your psyche through accessing those different points of your body. So that's kind of where I started out. Um, it was a real spiritual thing for me. Um, and it was really important for me to be really kind of poetic with that and not grotesque with it, as as um, I guess a lot of my peers were doing at the time. Um, people who are using blood, using it really... Um, gratuitously for shock value yeah that was never my intention um it was really connecting with my um the deepest parts uh, the deeper part of myself like accessing different um places of, of of my um my body and my mind really through through those and it was really important that I was kind of looking at those kind of points of access and being sort of symbolic with it. So going through my head, or going through my chest, my heart chakra, or um, through down to my cunt, you know, um, and, and and sort of looking at that. But it did start as me kind of taking control of um, using sort of cutting when I was a teenager as, as a way of control, so self-harm. It, it was born out of that. Um, and by really taking a look at being able to control it in a more um, kind of um, empowering way. So being less vulnerable within that and being more in control of, of that um, allowed me to really connect with my body in a different way and not just abuse it, I suppose, because I think um, I've, I've been asked that question Uh, before about um, sort of where, about really kind of being asked about my mental health, I suppose. Um, I think those kind of questions are right have arisen a lot in the past. Um, But I went through a period of using blood, um, well, sort of um, cutting my skin or accessing um, blood. It was always kind of the byproduct, I think, at the beginning, because from the very sort of, I began to sort of install my body in into um, environments which I created, and I think I started doing that around about two thousand six, two thousand five, two thousand six, um, and like I said, blood became the the release that would happen after a performance, so nobody would see the blood. Uh, that would be like a, a private part of the the action, and then. It moved um, into collecting the blood. I've used sort of as as well as collecting like menstrual blood as well. Um, And then in 2011, I had a pint of blood taken as part of a performance, and I used that to write words. um, Clean. It was about memory and and how memories can stain you. Um, So that piece was called. when rivers went into the sea I think it's 2011 how crazy is that um hmm. so nine, years ago. Ten, nine years 10
0: 10 years now yeah
1: um yeah and then after I think I just sort of took a bit of a break with with using blood as material and that kind of um, milk sort of taking over so in 2013 I was pregnant with my second son um and milk uh and my change in body really become um the forefront of really my exploration I think he's and I use milk a lot um within my practice for a good couple of years after that um yeah I think I answered that. did I answer that I yeah know. you totally and,
0: did. <laughs> I think it's um yeah, it's a really powerful body of work when you look at the way that you've used your body, but always for these really um, potent reasons—either for yourself or for like the strength of body and how that's seen. You know, there's just there's just so much. So all these themes just kind of flow through all of the work. Um, you, I'd like to come back to talk about uh, motherfucker again. Because um, you've mentioned that briefly, but maybe first of all we should talk about lost bodies, um because that's another work that's fairly recent. And I know, did you recently have last year have um, a book made as well from that?
1: It was only um it was, it was a gift actually. It wasn't a book. Ah. Um, it wasn't. It's not a, a purchasable book. It was a gift by the photographer who worked with okay. me the first.
0: Because um, it looks beautiful. And those and you, images are so strong. Uh,
1: yeah. I'd love to. I'd, I will. it is is my intention to create a book? Um, of that piece because it was such a such a a turning point for me um as a performer personally um
0: am it, I right in thinking that that's the work that took you more into theaters than you had been before
1: yeah, yeah, I was really struggling to get i was getting rejected from so many festivals <laughs> um and i just i just i just got really pissed off, so I just decided to work towards my own tour um and it's, it's i don 't think there hadn't there wasn't i don't think that many uk live artists really turn work cuz it wasn't really a thing um, um but i think we ended up booking nine dates or something like that which was crazy and like i said it was it was interesting because none of it was rehearsed before we went into the first performance um we didn't really know how it was going to sort of unfold really um, I was working with Alison Greeley, who uh was my co-performer. Um and she was my so she was my sh- shamanic guide. So every every performance was uh, a ritual within itself, uh, and a real shamanic ritual. So we opened the space, we closed the space, um, and I went on what felt like a real incredible personal journey throughout each each performance that I did. Um the first performance I created the sounds the soundscape myself um everything i'm a I'm a bit anal in a way, and I do like to be in control of all of the layers of my work, so it was really hard to kind of give those up but I worked with sarah glass um a sound maker and she's absolutely brilliant I uh, worked with her throughout the, the 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 final load of performances, so I think she i think she she did eight out of nine performances um and it was a really, really interesting process for me to to, to see how the work unfolded. Um, so it sounds like
0: you created a hell of a lot of prep and background and like space making, in order to then have this safe environment to allow that ritual to unfold. Then
1: definitely, and I, and I really feel like I wanted to create a space which every it was transformative for everybody. You know, I really I was really conscious of really, um, reaching everybody on a sensory level. So there was sound, vibration, smell, um, a really want, I, it was really important to me to be able to, um, access people, uh, people's, um, psyche, their vibrations, them on, like on a shamanic level. And we, um, we smudged everybody who came in. They were real, really part of the ritual, um, from the moment that they, they entered the space and, um, yeah, um, in every performance that I've made, every it's sort of all of the elements are conjured in my brain before, and, and that's the only kind of prep that I do really. Um, but I did learn a lot from Lost Bodies in that way, and, and took that into Motherfucker and um, see where it goes after that. But Lost Bodies really was—it was, it was such a beautiful experience. Like, how it got re- i mean, I will admit it got hard by the end of it having to it was a real physical piece that I bled a lot. Um I had the head the headpiece was attached to my forehead um with around six needles. And in each time I bled differently. Um, and and like I say, I used when I was touring, I we packed up, we went there, I performed. Sometimes I would drive back the same night because I didn't have enough childcare. So it it really didn't have a lot of time to process what was happening. Um but it was incredibly transformative um the whole thing and I, and the images you know i think they've become their own art you know within within, within their own right and I think that um it is really hard to you know, documentation doesn't always um tell the story of a performance or an experience an audience experience of performance or 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 the performance experience of that performance yeah. so but i do um, I really treasure the the, the the documentation from from that, and, and Fenia was brilliant. Um, she did behind the scenes um, portraits of of us as well. It was a real, really, just a really beautiful experience. Um,
0: yeah, I love that. Right yeah. And then, did Motherfucker come fairly soon after that work?
1: Um, I think Lost Bodies. I think that finished in 2018 and I think I went into developing the applications for funding for the research and development for motherfucker in 2019. I think we, we did that then. I can't even remember. It's not hilarious. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think um, I was really excited by the experience of Turin. Um, um, but I found the way that I was working, not sort of, physically was really difficult and um sort of the time that I had, the money that we had, I knew that we were I was under I was underfunded for each performance. So really looking at kind of my practice as a business um and, and trying to make money as a single parent, you know, to be sustainable within my practice and how I would um how to make it profitable and sustainable uh is it possible to do that as an artist um and so that whole project itself was about that as well as um it it felt really important for me to kind of voice my experiences as a single mother and all of the hurdles that I'd had to sort of jump just just to get to that one performance so highlighting that as well as other single mother or single parents but specifically single mothers um experiences as well so um yeah but it was it was it was it was very raw like I said earlier it's, uh, it was a very raw experience and I felt incredibly vulnerable throughout the lot um I was also going through a, a breakup and um ended up homeless um with my children uh, because of that breakup so during all of this process it was a really difficult time in my private life and then to have to go and perform was really really it was it was um really difficult so i think i learned a lot from that and um but i recognized that that isn't the the way that i want to perform and i and i don't want to it would be great to be a sustainable performer like um financially but i think the way that i need i, I recognized and um that's not the way that i need or want to make work i want work to to evolve as as a necessity and i think that's where my power comes from with as as a performer my agency as a performer is different when the objectives um are different i think so i did learn i didn't learn that um which is why i did take a break um from performing after that because I had learned so much and was processing such, such a massive amount of stuff through that sort of year-long period, um, professionally and privately.
0: Sounds like a huge amount of vulnerability, because your work's very vulnerable anyway. And then to add that layer of being vulnerable in your personal life and putting all of that into those performances and and that work is, uh, yeah, that sounds incredibly intense. It was. mega. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Huh. yeah um so I would like to know we've talked about censorship haven't we but maybe I'd just like to add a bit more about so in your even in your current work you're still you still get censored all the time don't you like by Instagram social my media
1: <laughs> I get told off for of my tits all the time it's terrible <laughs> yeah, how do you
0: how do you deal with that because it must really piss you off
1: massively pissed me off but also like i understand that um what pisses me off the most is that there are more sexualized images of um bodies on the internet and um but it's usually bodies that are selling things um so when i put on you know I, i really want i'm really empowered by a process and the images themselves i don't find sexual
0: uh, <laughs> I know what you mean it's like yeah they, you stick a, you know, an enhanced pair of breasts in a teeny tiny bikini and that's fine
1: yeah, it's, it, just, it just it really pisses me off but I do understand it um, but it, it just it really affects some of the work you know if I'm going to I, I wouldn't put up an image now with you know blocking out my nipples or um, what have you um It just, it just doesn't make sense, and it just, you know, in the past I know that I've had people having personal vendettas uh, um, against me and, and actively reporting me constantly, to have, have me blocked and whatnot. You? you don't
0: have anything better to do?
1: No, clearly not. <laughs> um Yeah, and I think I had had some problems even with my website, so I didn't. I was even being censored with my on my website. Um, which I'm in the process of creating a new one because of that. Um, yeah, I mean, it is frustrating, but it is what it is, I suppose. Yeah. Um,
0: I am, so Amy has asked me if I can ask for um, a recommendation. So something that you've seen, heard, um, watched, or read anything at all that comes to mind doesn't have to be related to your practice or and it could just be something you think the listeners might fancy
1: well i think the last probably the last two years i've really focused my research on um, my reading on um issues of race um i'm yeah. really educating myself so uh, as a white person uh, it's been really important for t- to me do, for to do that um so i've been watching a lot of. Um, a lot of shows, reading a lot of books um, about black experiences. Um, So I can recommend a whole list of things that I've been watching um, from dramas to documentaries through to texts, um, biographies, you know. Um, And I would really encourage people who are not actively educating themselves what white people who aren't actively educating themselves on race issues to do so. Um,
0: Brilliant. You can send us um, if you don't mind. I'd love a list. I've got I've got a few myself, but I'd love to hear what hear and see what you're recommending. Thank you. um, and the other thing she's asked for is if you could think just off the top of your head, just like some kind of task that you could that people you know while we're carrying on in this lockdown. Something that people could do at home, um, something a bit creative.
1: Actually, when I first read your email, I was, the first thing that jumped into my head was just to masturbate more. I think. <laughs> 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 just get wanking.
0: Yes, um, <laughs> love it. Okay.
1: <laughs> exploring your body and, um, in a, in a kind of self-love, self-care way, um, I think is, is mega important. And I don't think people wank enough. So yeah. Um, um, that was my <laughs> especially my mothers name. I reckon <laughs> hey?
0: especially mothers
1: yeah exactly yeah really hard because they don't mind on sleep so- <laughs> yeah, so, yeah it's um it's yeah trying to find time up to one because it's quite hilarious <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: always the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> um I think that's all my questions it's
1: just been really nice chatting you know I just uh I think when you are a parent uh, a single parent especially like it's really hard it's 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 really hard to kind of change your hats oh, yeah um
0: I was thinking this earlier when I got your message and I was making dinner and I'd just come from painting a load of wood that I need to be taken <laughs> to some school's for another project, and then I'm like, right, get my interview hat on. Then
1: yeah, it's, it's, I was making dinner. I just got in from taking the boys out to the beach, walking the dog, cleaning the garden, you know, doing the washing, and then up, oh, got to be an artist again. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's 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 really odd, and also with my photography business, um I'm, I'm constantly changing hats, and I, I, I just it's, it's 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 quite funny, I think. Um,
0: mm-hmm. I do that with interpreting as well. I have to put because I interpreted this morning, and then I have to take that off. And Amy and I have talked about it before. We, um, in fact, when we've done the podcast recordings, we've sometimes had to do it um, around school pickups. So we'll go and do the school run, drop the kids off. Then I get on get on the train, get into central London, go off and do something that feels really exciting and like, <laughs> artistic. And then we're like, quick, get back home so we can get back to the school gates. Um, this, before anyone notices yeah. you've done something yeah
1: i actually refilmed well i've been um i had an exhibition in lithuania in december um of and uh, recreated a uh, motherfucker as a video piece i'll send it to you as well it's not online yet um brilliant thank you But just doing all this mental stuff it's just crackers like you're going and i'm wearing strap-ons and, and flipping covering myself in all sorts and then and you're just like, fuck, it's fucking four and three, shit! <laughs> and then you have to, like, pack up the strap-ons and fucking take the crazy shit off that you're wearing and go, like, <laughs> covered in shit at the school run. And <laughs> it's just crackers, like, all of the stuff, all of the things that you've got to strad- straddle. Um, I mean, the boys sort of helped me with Pranoya a bit. And, you know, then they're in they're in the other room playing Fortnite while I'm... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> doing crazy and that they, they don't really bow an eyelid anymore you know they I think you know kids of artists they kind of they, they grow up being used to like mum doing mental stuff or yeah. you know, or like the books or the art that's around it I'm really proud of them in the way that they're you know they're really open to a lot of experiences they're they're, they're they ask brilliant questions around art and sometimes they're like what the fuck's that mum you know like yeah. you know and but it's brilliant to to see um yourself your art practice through their eyes and um just recently um i got the double exposures book out and my youngest son's um in that book um i'm breastfeeding him in that book and he's um he's really excited to see himself in that book um it's really lovely for for that um but actually yeah uh, you know did you know uh, when i did milk and and uh, the little one was was part of that performance uh,
0: yeah.
1: and there was the one of the performances um again i think we i think i did about five performances of milk in different locations and different environments across the uk um and the little one was part of two or three of those um and and one on one of those occasions um i was nearly arrested so um there was a riot van outside of Blab, Live Out Bistro in Leeds. Um, and they came and they were going to call social workers. they were going to have my son taken off of me. Um, they were literally... They had, had us kettled inside of the, the, the gallery space. You know, real macho police guys with the fucking lights going off. Wow. Um, yeah, so it... I think at that point, and also the point with raising the skirt um, and having like the death threats and the the personal attacks and stuff, I really reconsidered how um, I presented myself online and the kind of information that I was putting online and especially with my children. So um, I do find a bit of kind of friction within myself of wanting to incorporate my kids into my work a little bit more, or ask not incorporate them, but ask them whether they want to be part of the work and I think those experiences that I had during milk and um, raising the skirt really made me think about um, my children and all of this you know and 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 their privacy, so I stopped at that point posting anything about their private lives um, online and um, and it does sadden me that i can 't kind of incorporate their experiences um within my practice. Uh, and I, I'm I'm really like inspired by the beautiful work that I see of some um parent artists where they do incorporate their children. But it's really been really important to me that um they my kids maintain their own privacy and their own stories and their own narratives and that um that I'm, I'm not giving away their experiences for free to people who don't know them.
0: Yeah. Um I'm hopeful that my kids will, similar to yours, you know, they ask great questions. And when like their uncle said to me, said something yesterday to me on um, a WhatsApp video call, he was making fun of the um, PPE photographs that I've I've got up at the moment. And he he was talking about my son and saying, you know, well, isn't he? It's all right. He'll soon be embarrassed to walk down the street if he knows, you know, he knows that all his mates know what you do. And my son was there, and he just said. I'm well, not embarrassed by that it's fine
1: <laughs> and okay? I was like yay
0: good <laughs> for now anyway but...
1: it's just it's just gorgeous that like they, they're just rooting for you aren't they and they're um like my eldest son's 12 now um and uh the little one's seven and you know the way that they hold themselves and their ability to articulate things and 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 they kind of you know they know about sex, they know about bodies, they know about periods they know, and they i think they know more than a lot of grown white men do you know and I'm being specific there um but um and and i'm I'm really proud of them and me as as a parent to. To be able to have those conversations with them. And I think that it was, it's going to really going to be empowering for them as, as they get older and, and, um, having the experience that they have had around me in my practice. Um, it, I think it's, it's been really beneficial, but it will be really beneficial for them. Um, yeah.
0: I agree. Thanks very much, Nicola.
1: Uh, thank you. It's been lovely to chat to you.
0: It's been lovely to talk to you too.
1: Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. It's been really
0: nice to properly meet you, as well. Maybe we can do it in real life at some point.
1: Yeah, let's have a let's have a, a
0: real life or, a, or Go and have a beer. Uh, yeah. The <laughs> yeah. <a> beer garden. <gasps> oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> oh You've been listening to Woman Up, the podcast series from Desperate Artwives and Susan Merrick.